Rico Navarro weaving his way through, and it's in! All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome in to a Premier League and World Football edition of the Intercontinental Football Show. I am your host, the voice of the Chicago Fire, Tyler Terrence, joined by none other than my favorite ginger in the entire world, besides <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne, Arlo White, the voice of the Premier League on NBC Sports. Andrew Williams is joining us as well. He'll chime in about Chelsea throughout the pod, and we might just have a little bit of banter as well as we do here on the Intercontinental Football Show. Remember to give us a like, subscribe, rate, review, however you want to. We have loads to talk about. The top four race is firmly underway. Arsenal with the big three points against Villa. Tottenham Hotspur keeping pace with a massive win over West Ham in a London derby. Harry Kane, absolutely magnificent, played a hand in all three goals. Human son shines. Kulisevsky is fitting in wonderfully with Tottenham. Leeds United with another emotional, dramatic win. Jesse Marsh is doing wonders at Ellen Road right now as they are creeping further and further towards safety, but not out of the woods just yet. Arlo White, how are you, my friend? I'm all right. I was, well, I was fine until you said I was the, your favourite ginger and then put an except Kevin De Bruyne, which actually then means I'm your second favourite ginger. You kind of contradicted the point straight away. So I'm a you're, little bit you're my taken favorite aback. Non, you're my favourite non-professional football playing ginger is that is that, right. okay? is that fair oh yeah, okay yeah i'll take i'll take it i'll take okay. it you know it's slim pickings anywhere else when it comes to uh <laughs> to compliments so i'll take that yeah maybe dax mccarty is on that list no, 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 <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. Still he's, still he's still playing he's still playing <laughs> still going strong no i'm doing well you know what it's um it's nearly 70 degrees outside it is a beautiful spring day um so i'm feeling really good i've got a little bit of sun on the face so that's why i'm a little bit red this morning uh just took dougie out for his walk and he's just loving the conditions you know the the, the premier league season is is arguably the best that I can remember. I mean, it really is. There's really? so much to play for. Title race, top four needs to be sorted out. The only two, I think the at this point in the season, as we go into the last, you know, nine, ten games, the only two certainties, and even these, I'm going to contradict myself now, the, even these could change. But as it stands, Norwich are going down and Chelsea are finishing third. Other than that, everything is up for grabs. You've got a title race, you've got the race for fourth place, and you've got this humdinger of a relegation battle as well with some really big teams in it. So so that's fabulous. The Chicago Fire are winning. They're, they're, they've just won two straight games. And Leicester are in the quarterfinals of the Interconference, Toto Conference, UEFA uh, Champions Conference uh, League. So I, things Please. could yep. not be better. And I know you two love that competition. But yeah, it, it's it, at the moment, it just feels... Feels exciting, and this is the start of the running um, and the most, for me, the most exciting part of the season across the board because you've got title runnings, you've got cup semi-finals, cup finals, you know, knockout games in the Champions League. This is where the season reaches its denouement, and I couldn't be happier that the sun is shining for it as well. It's. It, I echo everything that you're saying. Hey, Dub, can can we get a check in with you, my friend? Because you know, I feel like you know we've been talking about you know the Chelsea situation and the ownership and potentially Woody Johnson coming in. And you know, I love all that Jets energy that you might have to endure. But as a Chelsea fan, how like you know, I feel like we do this sometimes with the U.S. Men's National Team, and we'll get to that later on in this pod as we'll discuss their their upcoming window, which is the most important window in American soccer history potentially. Um, where, where are your anxiety levels in terms of the state of Chelsea Football Club being a fan? The anxiety level is fine. It's very even keel, but everything else is kind of all over the place, right? It's, I mean, at first, all I care about is a team doing what they do on the field and everything like that. Everything else will sort itself out. And then they come out like with the FA Cup stuff saying, 
Middlesbrough shouldn't have fans. And I lost my mind. Because why would they even think that? Why would you want to take fans away from an FA Cup game from another smaller league team who needs that revenue because your club are a bunch of boneheads? It got me. <laughs> I've never been more upset as a Chelsea fan once that came out. And now I'm cooling off a little bit. Ownership self will work itself out. I mean, there's nothing any of the fans can truly do about it. It can't be Woody Johnson, though. That's all I'm saying. It cannot be Woody why, Johnson. Just because just he's the owner of the Jets? Why, why do you have to throw that kind of slander? I didn't I, say anything yet. I mean, you know why. I don't think you <laughs> want to see Woody Johnson be part of the Premier League, right? I mean, we American owners get enough shtick already in the Premier League. You want Woody Johnson adding to the FBO right now? As long as, long as he's not in charge of Liverpool, I don't really care. Yeah, uh, good. All right, all right. That's, that's very selfish. I don't like that. But like I said, everything else works itself out, and they're winning. They're playing good football. Ty Havertz playing good football. Pulisic is playing good football. Huge own goal. I agree with you last week uh, in, the, in the PR <laughs> battle. Honestly, no, no, AW, you're absolutely yeah. right. And even even uh, Thomas Tuchel said afterwards he didn't. I, he can't believe oh, that yeah. somebody at the club thought that that was a good idea. Um, you know, because if you took that, if, if if sporting integrity was the main driver behind them insisting that Middlesbrough play the game behind closed doors, thus denying their own fans, you know, a chance to see Chelsea in the FA Cup. It's what the FA Cup is all about, for goodness sake. Then mm. then by by definition, what they were saying is then they would have to play their own league games behind closed doors because they can, in theory, have 25, 26, however many thousand season ticket holders they've got. Well, if the, if the away fans aren't allowed in the corner and they're, because they're not allowed to sell tickets, they would then have to play all their home games behind closed doors. So the whole thing was so flawed. Um, I don't know why they did it. I don't, and, and it, look, it all turned out okay in the end because they won the game and and it was quite comfortable. And by the way, the, the players are showing, I think, a tremendous level of resiliency. Now yeah. they are paid very good money and they're still getting paid you know they're doing their job lee dixon would say to me they're only doing their job and fair enough but this 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 is unprecedented territory really that that chelsea find themselves in and i think as a as a collective i think thomas tuchel has been a real statesman throughout the entire situation you know it's it's much clearer now that abramovich has been sanctioned so they feel a little freer to to voice their own opinions about what's going on in ukraine um because they probably feared what would happen to not not in terms of their safety but what sort of sanctions would be placed on them, you know, if they'd said it before. So they, you know, they're in, they're into a cup semi-final. They've reached the last two domestic cup finals and the Champions League final. You know, this this Chelsea team are showing some real spirit. I'm glad that the, the you know the, the FA and everybody saw sense about about that silly request in the FA Cup. But Chelsea, I don't think, are quite done winning trophies. Um, this season and if and they could already, do, if they could add a trophy or two, you know, in this situation, good for them. And you're totally writing it off that Arsenal have no chance of catching Chelsea in third. Zero chance. I'm not saying zero chance. Um, I'm not saying zero chance. And Arsenal need to, I mean, you know, this race for the fourth place is just electric. Mm. And I've been saying all season that in, you know, but particularly when it looked like there wasn't going to be a title race because Man City was so far ahead of Liverpool and the relegation was going to be, it was going to be Burnley, Watford and Norwich nailed on. Well, the whole picture has changed because at that point I thought the only value in this season is who's going to finish in fourth place. So I've been talking, banging on about, you know, the the race for fourth all all season long. And it's, it's not disappointing, but the other, other things that need to be you know sorted out as well so that what makes it such a thrilling season but Arsenal no they need the points because Spurs are on their coattails and we are all waiting with bated breath as to when the North London derby is going to be scheduled we I mean I don't know why we don't know this neither team is involved in any cup competition there must have there must be a day isolated I don't know whether the league are thinking oh 
we could have a winner-takes-all scenario here. Why don't we have that on the final Wednesday before the yes. before the final Sunday yes. of the season? You know, I, I don't know. That. I don't know whether the things are at play in terms of scheduling. But that's going to be massive at Tottenham if, if the two, two teams are within three points of each other. Imagine a winner-takes-all. A winner goes to the Champions League in a North London derby. Come on. But we've already got City Liverpool coming up, which is an effective title decider. So it's 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 all in play. Yeah, Arsenal could very well catch Chelsea, depending on Chelsea's form between now and the end of the season. Um, but I think I think Chelsea is pretty secure in that third spot. Okay, so while we're on the topic and we're talking North London, why don't we start with Tottenham Hotspur and West Ham? And let's get into that. You were on mm. the call for that game. And Harry Kane seemingly <laughs> over the past number of weeks has put all of the nonsense for Manchester sitting in the summer behind and all the mm-hmm. negativity and he is playing some of the best football of his career and it's been interesting because Antonio Conte you know didn't love the idea of having him drop really deep and you know like sort of using him in the way that Jose Mourinho has used him and, mm-hmm. and being a playmaker but Harry Kane continues to make the argument that he is not just one of the best goal scorers in the history of the Premier League but he's one of the best playmakers as well and his the, the, <sighs> the weight on his passes his technique his his ability his telekinetic relationship with Hyunmin Son is just on display every single week now. Tottenham come away with a massive three points. Um, you know, a, a tough outing for West Ham who, you know, we <clears> thought we were going to make a push for the top four. They're probably out at this point. But uh, what, what what did you think of the game that, that you were on the call for and a fantastic call yet again? Well, thank you. Um, it, it was it was a brilliant game. It really it was so entertaining. And uh, after a fairly quiet and sedate start, as both sides were kind of feeling each other out, but it felt like a big game. It felt like a big London derby with lots at stake, you know, and, and Tottenham going into that game knew that they could go over West Ham and over Manchester United into fifth place. And, and you know, they had this eight game sequence of win, loss, win, loss, win, loss going. And the last game that they played, they won. So they, they would do a loss to continue to continue that streak. But it was a good look. It was a good time to play West Ham United, right? So on the Thursday, hugely physically and an emotionally draining night against Sevilla when they win by two goals to nil and, and uh, Yamalenko scored the winning goal, obviously the Ukraine international, the, the London Stadium. And they, it's been very slow. It's been a very slow grow on everybody, the London Stadium, because of how far away the, the pitch is from the fans and all that. But they're now building memories there. They're now building the really sort of special nights, you know, victory over Liverpool early this season, victory over Chelsea. Now you've got this huge um, Europa League night against Sevilla in the books. And, and you know, it was, it was always going to be tough, particularly only making one change um, in the, to the starting line, always going to be tough to turn up at Tottenham and, and to turn it on. And uh, look, th- there were spells in the game, particularly after they went 2-1 um, uh, with uh, Ben Rama's goal, where, you know, they did control large portions of that game. And I thought they played really, really well. But in the end, they just ran out of legs. And just to echo what you're saying about Harry Kane, I mean, we saw the masterclass against Manchester City a few weeks ago, a- ago when he scored two and created one. I mean, he was involved in all three goals, as you say. And, you know, we, we have a little bit of a joke on the on the call because Harry Maguire scored an own goal for them at Old Trafford and then um, Kurt Zuma gets the own goal and and OG mm-hmm. is the third top scorer this season in all competitions for Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> and, and, and I think Spurs fans when I mentioned that they kind of think I'm having a bit of a dig at them actually you know unless a, an own goal is an absolute calamity by a defender who just passes it past the goalkeeper or a goalkeeper kicks it, it, kicks it into his own net generally speaking the, the own goal is scored because the defender is under duress 
the defender is stretching to to deal with excellent service into the penalty area and that's what's yeah. happening and you're getting it from Son you're getting it from Kane you're getting it from now Kulisevsky you know Bentancourt you know they are just such a good side to watch when they're when they're in full flow so so Kane to Son twice again the pass from Bentancourt to Kane and then Kane through to to Son for the second goal it was just magnificent and I think Kane the only thing he lacks I guess is a bit yes, of pace so good other than that he is a complete footballer I don't think you can get much better than Harry Kane in, in, in that position and it's going to be fascinating I was talking to, to a couple of pals today one's an Arsenal fan who he just can't he can't take the strain of what's going on at the moment he can't he can't he can't get excited about Arsenal because he fears them being pipped by Tottenham to fourth place at the at the very last you know and that's he's gonna have to live with that for the rest of his life um but we, we both agree that whether Spurs get into the Champions League or not is so massive for their future because if they're not in the Champions League does Antonio Conte stay if they're not in the Champions League does Harry Kane stay and and Spurs apart from that little brief spell under Maurizio Pochettino are always so close to having a very very good team and then a player leaves or a manager leaves or something happens it just knocks them down a peg or two so if they don't qualify and they finish fifth and and even if Conte stays, Kane's going to want to go. Whether he goes to Man City or maybe they've moved on to Haaland, you know, Harry Kane, as we've said before, is faced with this awful prospect of being one of the greatest players England has ever produced. He could be the Premier League's you know record goal scorer. He could be England's record goal scorer, and he faces this prospect of not ever winning a single trophy. I mean, Luis Diaz won one a week after arriving from Porto at <laughs> Liverpool, and there's Harry Listen, breaking every he's goal. Play, he's playing for the greatest. He's playing for the greatest club in the, club in the world, all right? It's a well, little he bit does of a have scenario. that slight advantage of wearing red. But, but, but that's are, the, the point. So the point so the, for me, sorry, Ty, just to finish that point, they have to, I mean, both teams, Arsenal and, and Spurs, are desperate for top four. But for kind of different reasons, you can argue Arsenal are ahead of the curve in terms of their development. This is a bone. I don't think any Arsenal fan expects this to go so well so soon. But there's a real desperation for Tottenham because of what it would mean for them if they weren't to play Champions League football next season. And this is, and this reminds me, and and you know, we're at the ten year anniversary of of a goal that I think that some people don't really understand how significant it was outside of the actual game. Twenty twelve Champions League final, Didier Drogba, eighty eighth minute near post against Bayern Munich. Chelsea were having mm. an abysmal season in the league, and they end up winning champion, or they end up winning Champions League that year. And what it did was when Gareth Bale was in a similar boat that Harry Kane was, where he basically said, "I'm not mm. going to stay at Spurs unless we're in playing Champions League football." Spurs finish in fourth, Chelsea win the Champions. League, they take away the spot from Spurs, and then they've since changed the rule. But that that goal set in motion, uh, uh, you know, sort of a chain chain reaction of effect that you know changed the landscape of European football. Yeah. Gareth Bale goes to Real Madrid; they end up winning both, you know, a boatload of Champions Leagues, and you know the whole thing. And and you know Spurs are you know forced to sort of rebuild again, and they can't build around Gareth Bale, and they have to you know end up finding Harry Kane and the whole thing. But you know now they're in a similar situation where there mm. could be one moment this season, and it could be in the North London derby that is going to decide the fate of Tottenham Hotspur and decide the fate of Harry Kane and sort of change the European landscape of uh, you know again, which is which is ridiculous to think, but it just goes to show how close Spurs have been over the past number of years to really being a top level team and mm. and how important champion. League football is to to retain world class players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good shout about the Drogba goal because yeah, the, at the time the, the 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 rule was by UEFA that only four teams were allowed in and the holders would be one of those teams. So in that event, Chelsea finished outside the top four. Then went and won it with a 
and, and it was at Bayern Munich as well. No one expected them to win that no. game. Um, they did it uh, eventually, and uh, and yeah, and it was a heartbreak for Tottenham. We finished in fourth place and then missed out. I mean, that was kind of like a very Spursy thing to happen, I suppose, for to, to coin that phrase that must really irritate Spurs fans. But yes, and that rule has now been changed. So if you finish outside the top four and you win the Champions League, then five teams can go from from a particular country. But yeah, that chain of events is still is still taking effect now, and and it, I could not be more excited about the about the the last few weeks of the season, particularly as so much. Is riding. Yes, the title race, you know, both Liverpool and City were in FA Cup action over the weekend. So we didn't see any movement in that. Um, we'll see it again after the after the international break. But this this fourth place, I mean, Manchester United, can you imagine Manchester United finishing not only not in the top four, but maybe sliding into the conference league? Man United. Not sliding. They're they're elevating into the conference league. The way, that about, <laughs> the way that you talk about it, the conference league is like the new is the new champions league. You know, you, yeah. you would think that only the, it's only reserved for the best teams who, you know, have sort of you know taken this really fall far from grace. But that's that's where Manchester United are. But listen, I think I, I mean think about where we were at the beginning of the season where we're doing the preview on the Intercontinental Football Show for Manchester United, everybody thinking that they're going to make a push for the title and then we're going to have a, a proper, proper title race with United, Chelsea, City and Liverpool and yeah. United are on the brink of potentially missing out on the top four and going into Conference League. I mean, it's just... Uh, it, it is. It's astonishing. They're in sixth place at the moment. They've played 29. So Arsenal have a game in hand over them and a four-point buffer. Um and that look, it looks pretty desperate for Manchester United, who just don't seem to be able to put together a string of results. You know, they they haven't lost that many under Ralph Ragnick, but too many draws and too many underwhelming performances. Um, you know, I'd look, I'd love to know exactly what is going on with Marcus Rashford. I, I I just don't understand how a player with his his quality and his talent can can just appear like a shadow of himself the confidence is gone the, the 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 zip is gone and and you know man united fans are losing faith with, with marcus rashford you know you've got the obvious situation with with mason greenwood and if things go how we expect you know he's not even got a career let alone um, to play for manchester united and make an impact for them jaden sancho is improving but he's not quite where they need him to be bruno fernandez hasn't had the season this year that he had last you've got the cristiano ronaldo issue paul pogba will he walk away at the end of the season for free i don't think that'd be a particularly bad thing by the way um it's a mess and they haven't got a, a, a full-time manager yet so so manchester united i mean i thought they would have enough just to muddle their way through into yeah. fourth place. Now I'm starting to lose faith because I think Arsenal and Spurs at the moment are better teams. They're better managed. They they have more momentum, more belief in what they're doing, more identity than Manchester United have. United have big game players. They could yet put together a streak. So that's why it's so exciting because it's it's far from over. But at the moment, I think uh, it's between Arsenal and Spurs right now for that fourth spot and that North London derby is going to be absolutely epic. All right, so let's talk about the red side in North London as Arsenal bounce back after their midweek loss against my Liverpool and they dispatch Aston Villa by a score of 1-0. Great strike from Saka. Um, you know, just did did well to just put it on frame and there were so many bodies in front um, in front of the keeper there that it was just impossible to see until the last moment. So Arsenal come away with a big win. They put in a really good performance, especially in the first 45 minutes against Liverpool. Um, you know, sort of a similar thing with what happened against Manchester City where they don't really take advantage of the fact that they did play a great first half, didn't put the ball in the back of the net and they get punished mm. in the second half. But a good response. You always kind of felt that that game coming off of the Liverpool one, which is extremely emotionally, you know, physically taxing game whenever you play against Jurgen Klopp's side. Um, but they bounce back. They bounce back really well. And and listen, Arsenal, 
Arsenal are right on the cusp of being a great team. They're very close. Mm -hmm. They're not there yet. And we've been talking about this for a number of weeks now, but they are, they are one step away from being able to, you know, consistently compete with the likes of Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester city for an entire 90 minutes. They're right there. You know, Emile Smith-Rowe is fantastic. Uh, Martin Odegaard is running the middle of the park. I love Thomas Partey. He's silky smooth. Mm -hmm. And and they just and they are clicking right now. But um, you know, they they have a problem if if, if Spurs are, are hitting their peak right now, you know, they're gonna it's it's gonna be a situation in which your your Spurs and, and Arsenal, you're gonna have to almost win every single game from here on out, depending on who you're playing to to make sure you're gonna be in the top four. Yeah, I think Arsenal are surprising even their own fans, uh, uh, genuinely, because you know, th- there's been a a slightly toxic atmosphere where, where, you know, except for the behind closed doors games, obviously through COVID, but they, they have gradually lost faith in, in, in everything that Arsenal are trying to do. You know, you had the, the woeful last few years under Arsene Wenger, sadly. And then, you know, the United Emery era came and went pretty quickly and it's taken time for Mikel Arteta to turn this thing around. You know, you had these repeated mistakes of giving 30 plus year old players, massive contracts. Mm. Um, it happened with, it happened with Mesut Ozil, um, um, you know, it happened again with with uh, Um, and now he's gone and he's scoring goals for Barcelona. And some of the Arsenal fans are like, "Why did we let him go?" Well, actually, you know, a deal like that can just work out for everybody. I think Arsenal, it's a, it's addition by subtraction. They get yes. they get the captain out of the out of the the club, and you know, he wasn't the greatest into what well, he became a little bit tardy in in terms of his discipline and turning up for meetings and buying into what what Arteta was was trying to do, and he wasn't performing on the pitch, so he's out. Uh, Barcelona have benefited, Aubameyang's benefited, and Arsenal are better for it. So, so everyone's a winner in in that scenario. Lacazette's putting in a shift. Um, I think he'll still go in the summer. His his contract is up. But like you say, you've got these young, um, exciting, mainly homegrown players as well that the Arsenal fans are identifying with. Um, ben White and Gabriel, fantastic centre back partnership. Ramsdale, I I think is England's number one. I think I think he he should stay. If it was a World Cup final tomorrow, unlikely. But if it was a World Cup final tomorrow, I'd start Ramsdale for uh, for England. Tierney, even after even after the the near post, Diogo Jota, yeah. shocker. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yes, because I think. He he brings he brings also intangibles i think there is a there's a confidence to him he's excellent with the ball at mm. his feet really really good i mean pickford's decent as well but i just wonder if, if everton go down i mean what sort of front might you know frame of mind is jordan pickford going to be in if he particularly if he starts next season in the championship that could be a problem for england but anyway that's that's going that's looking ahead a little bit too far but even granite Xhaka is redeeming himself hasn't had a red car for like six or seven games now i mean that's i think that's a career oh, record i don't know yeah. if it's, it's, been, it's been uh, like yeah, maybe not that many it, it seems he's it seems due. like it's been longer <laughs> yeah he, he's, he's due put it that way but he but he, he seems to have sorted out his discipline he and Partey are fantastic in the in the center of the park, you know, as I say, Lacazette's putting in a shift. Then you've got Saka, you've got Martinelli's playing fantastic football. So I there's a whole Martinelli. different feeling about. Yeah, he's, he's got a call up for the first time for the Brazil national team. I mean, God, he he must be absolutely buzzing. He's only 20 years of age, so he may appear in a, a World Cup qualifier during this break. So Arsenal, it, and it's great because I don't get loads of moaning Arsenal fans claiming that I hate their football club simply because I've commentated on a lot of defeats for them over the last few years. First half against Liverpool, they were excellent. I didn't see the game uh, at Aston Villa. But by the way, you know, spending as much energy as they did in, in, in competing with Liverpool, you've then got to go to go to Birmingham and you've got to kick off at 12.30 against a highly energised Aston Villa side. So to keep them 
you know, to, to keep the clean sheets on the road, to, to, to see out a 1-0 win for Saka to score again. Big gut check that for, for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. That was that was some real character showed. So they it shows that they have the metal, I think, for, for this title race. I don't think they, if they finish outside the top four, it won't be because they bottled it. It won't be because they can't handle the pressure. It'd just be because they just ultimately weren't quite good enough. But Arsenal as a club are back, make no mistake. All right, somebody's got a gun to your head right now and making you choose between Arsenal and Tottenham for the top four. Who do you got? Oh, God, that's a really good question. So Spurs, you know, they, 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 the North London derby is at Tottenham. They are three points behind. They've played a game more. You know, Arsenal got slightly better goal difference. I'm, at this moment, and, you know, it's a bit like golf and being the clubhouse leader because, you, mm-hmm. you've, you know, you, you've, you've had your shower, you've got your shandy in your hand and you're watching everyone else trying to overcome your, your 10 under par or whatever. I'm yeah. just going to, at this present moment, with 10 games to go, although they have some very tough games, Arsenal, um, I'm just going to side with Arsenal with the points on the board and the way mm-hmm. that they are playing at the moment just to see off that challenge from Spurs. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Tottenham got it. It w- it's got to the point where it would surprise me now if Manchester United finished in fourth. I'm going to go on the other side of the coin here, and I'm going to say Spurs. Uh, I, I do agree with you, and I like you know sort of having the clubhouse lead and you know being being ahead and also having a game in hand. But if I'm looking at this at the Spurs team right now, and Harry Kane is you know making a case right now for being one of the best players in the league, and Son you know is consistently one of the best players in the league, mm. they have a couple of more true game changers that can put the ball in the back of the net. And when it starts to come down to these games late on in the season and, you know, everybody's going to be fighting for something at some point in time, unless you're one of, you know, these limbo teams in the middle of the table, you're going to need some of those game changers. And, and I don't think, I think that that is also what Arsenal is, is sort of missing right now is just somebody who's ruthless in front of goal. And right now between the front three of Spurs and how well they're playing, um, you know, I, I liken them to be able to, you know, maybe find one or two more results than Arsenal at the moment. Mm. And, and you're right, because it, with Tottenham, it feels so different as well, because, you know, in the January transfer window, you, you get rid of Ndombele, who's chronically underachieved. You get rid of Lo Celso, who's just not good enough. Uh, Heel, I think there's a player there, Spain international, but just the wrong time to be at Tottenham. And who else did they did they let go or or loan out? Um, there was a couple of others, weren't there? But they, they got two, only two in, but it was Kulisevsky and it was Bentancourt. And they are so good that they've changed the entire mood um, around that football club. Had they managed to pull off the Luis Diaz uh, signing as well, which is what prompted in the end Liverpool to go earlier for him, then they, they really would have been in business. But those two players have changed the feel. Kulisevsky looks like an, a, a world-class player in the making. He mm. is fabulous. He's got everything. A bit, a bit like Kane everything bar the pace but he's he he is terrific and and I think the addition of those two players in particular has changed the whole mood music and music around to Tottenham Hotspur hence why they're now back in the race um it's funny because I know I joke about the the conference league and Leicester City and we are one of those uh sorry they are one of those uh <laughs> yo-yo sort of mid-table clubs this season you know they, they I don't think they can finish really realistically above like ninth or any lower than they they probably are at the moment but Talking about feel-good factors returning, it just feels like we're slowly seeing our Leicester City return, and and that is no—it's no coincidence that it's because footballers are coming back who've been injured for ages. So James Justin is back playing pretty well. 
um, uh, um, Wesley Fofana came back in the Conference League. Mm-hmm. He's going to be huge. I, I predict. I honestly predict he's going to cost somebody hundred million pounds one day. He's just signed a new long-term contract as well, five or six years. Fantastic news. Uh, Ricardo signed a new contract. James Madison is is starting to play really well. And the two goals they scored against Brentford. I mean, forget Incredible. the goal of the month. Forget the goal of the month competition. It's already sorted. It's between James Madison and his free kick and uh, Timothy Castagna, which was a wonderful goal into the top corner. You know, they chanced it a little bit towards the end of the game. Brentford scored a decent goal uh, from Visa themselves and uh, and probably felt they could have had a point at the end. But it, it, for, for Leicester, there was, a, you know, there's a, there's a real sort of generational divide amongst Leicester fans. The younger fans think that we're this big shot team because we won the Premier League, won the FA Cup, you know, when the Community Shield got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And there's people like me that can't believe what has happened over the last few years, who, who kind of, who had to sit through so much crap for 25, 30 years to get to this point. So when you get a manager like Brendan Rodgers and the team underperforms a little bit, the youngsters are like, get him out, get somebody else in, come on, you know. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, he is an outstanding manager. We're, we're, we've got loads of injuries just give him one more summer and then let's see how Leicester go next season. And Harvey Barnes, I think, will be better. Whether Tielemann signs his contract, that's going to be very interesting. You've got Dakar, who's waiting in the wings to see what happens with, with Jamie Vardy. Lots of homegrown talent out there as well. Dewsbury Hall has, has emerged onto the scene. So I, I feel very positive about Leicester. And if they can round off the season with a, with a nice little run to the to the conference oh, league here, final. Here we go. By the way, the, the, the winners get a Europa League spot. So A-Dub, 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 can we get can we get a counter from here on out? How many times Arlo <laughs> mentions uh, Europa Conference League every episode? A huge competition. It is, you know, it's massive. I mean, you talk to anyone from Finland, and they think this is the most important competition they've ever they've ever been a part of. And the final, by the way, I mean, befitting of such a massive massive tournament is in Tirana, Albania. So, um, so if we get there, I'm still going. I'm still going. If we get to the final. Um, Going to Albania? Yeah. I hear it's lovely this time of year. I hear the cherry cherry blossoms are in bloom, the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's great. We're going to Toronto, guys. Come on, let's go. Um, We've got to get through PSV and Roma first, which is unlikely. But, you know, that's there is a little bit of a feel-good factor coming back to Leicester City. But whether they've missed the Champions League boat, you know, I think they have. Because if you look at next season, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, Man United, West Ham, Wolves, Newcastle got have got money to burn. Aston Villa are going to spend big in the summer, so I don't think Leicester, you know, are going to challenge for those top four spots anytime soon. But it, they're just rediscovering their identity, which is, I think, nice for all Leicester fans. Are you going to meet up with the Dutch blokes that that you met in uh, in Italy? Uh, um, no, in Eindhoven. Yes, yeah. If yeah. I, if I do go to the away leg, yes, we're gonna we are gonna meet up. Yeah, that was that was just love so that. so great. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah, Absolutely as the that. conference league draw was happening, ding. As the conference league draw was happening, um, we were actually on a table next to a, a bunch of uh, PSV Eindhoven fans, and we were in Alicante, Spain. Myself, my dad, and my brother, and it was just a lovely moment. We had a, about a half an hour chat with them. Fantastic. We talked about it on the fire pod, didn't we? So, uh, yep. Hope to be meet up with them. Hopefully, we we go there with a healthy first leg lead well let's talk about uh an american not named ted lasso who's making waves in the premier league and that is none other than jesse marsh um who you know endured another just ridiculously emotional roller coaster of of a three points they were down two nil against wills wolves they end up winning three two and i found myself rooting for rooting for leads dare I say close to how I root for Liverpool, screaming, shouting at the TV, and just pure ecstasy when that, when that third goal went in. And I just love everything about Jesse, how he's conducting himself. 
unabashedly being himself. And, yeah. and watching the post-game interview with he, Jamie Carragher, and, and Gary Neville, and watching Neville and Carragher listen intently to what an American has to say about the game was such a cool moment for me. And, mm. and, 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 you know, his, his philosophy and how, and how he's going about his business is not just a, a, a fresh reminder for, for people, you know, within the business and within the industry, but it's a, it's a good commentary on life. Just control your controllables. Yes, you're in a relegation battle, but, you know, worrying about the table, worrying about the points, worrying about games in hand, all those things are out of your control. All you can worry about is putting in good performances week in and week out and hoping that those are going to be enough to get you over the line. Just like in life, if you're going to continue to worry about things that are out of your control, how people react to what you're saying and what you're doing. It's going to drive you insane. Keep your head down, keep working, keep grinding, and good things will happen. And, and, yeah. and for this Leeds team right now, it is, it, it's so much fun to watch. And, you know, I, you just sort of have this feeling now that every time Leeds step on the field, something ridiculously dramatic is going to happen, but um, a, a massive three points. And they're not out of the woods yet, but, but they're inching no. closer and closer to safety. Two massive wins and two massive moments for Jesse Marsh as well, because they were pegged back by Norwich in the last minute, weren't they, in the last home game at Ellen Road. Mm -hmm. And and had that ended at 1-1, that that was a real blow. And they go down the other end and uh, Gelhart, who I think is an excellent young striker, scores a winning goal. And, and Ellen Road had that moment of just utter euphoria um, of, of grabbing three points, you know, in stoppage time. So then they take the momentum into that Wolves game, but they do go 2-0 two, two down. And then and then to come back in the way that they did was phenomenal. Yeah, I spoke to someone who, who uh, is in the know at Leeds um, over the weekend. And there had been reports flying around that the players, and this phrase is often used in football over here, they're not having him. They're not having Jesse Marsh. They're, they don't like this training sessions. They think he's a bit of a goofball, and et cetera, et cetera. All those, you know, cliches and generalizations about American soccer coaches um, in the Premier League. And, and I, I, I didn't see that on the pitch whenever I watched Leeds United play. Um, you know, they were in a tough spot. They were getting hammered week in, week out under Marcelo Bielsa, but he is still seen as, as a god, a demigod, a guru in the city of Leeds. The players, so I'm told, had had enough of Bielsa. They were exhausted, mm. but they do love Jesse Marsh. They love the sessions he's putting on. They, they, they love his man management. Um, he had a particular incident with Rodrigo recently where he took him off early, but then said, you're starting the next game and you're going to be man of the match. And he was, you know, against against Wolverhampton Wanderers. So um, it, it, they, they are he's having to retrain their brains because they've been man marking all over the pitch for three or four years. Um, so th there is a, a, a tendency to, to drift back into that straight away and to forget what you're supposed to be doing on that, you know, under Jesse Marsh. So he's got them, you know, he has to untrain them, then retrain them again, all in the space of no time, because you've got to get the points to, to avoid relegation. So I think he's doing a terrific job. They're seven points clear. They played a game more, um, than Watford, they played three more than Burnley. But, you know, those two wins were absolutely massive. And I'm delighted that Jesse Marsh is getting his props and, and getting the respect that he deserves rather than these silly generalisations about American coaches, which uh, which do do get me down a little bit sometimes because I just think it's very lazy. It is lazy, but there's nothing lazy about the man from Racine, Wisconsin, who is just putting his American stamp on the Premier League right now. Oh, I didn't know he was a Packers fan. Oh, I'll take it all back. He's a Packers fan, is he? Oh, sack yeah. him. Get him out of the country. Absolutely. Jeez, Pack Packers, Packers, are, Packers are headed to the Europa Conference League soon with the way that they're going. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <A> love it, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. All right. So speaking of Americans, let's talk about America 
and the most important World Cup qualifying window in American history. Hey, Dub, stop it. False? True? Since the last one. Yeah, so I mean, that that's the problem. I, I can't say it because I remember that Trinidad night, and I thought that was it too. So, I mean, it is because if they don't make back-to-back well, this World is the last, Cups, This is the over. last one. This is the yeah. last this is the last real qualifying that the United States is going to have to do when they're hosting the next one. And then after that, it's moving to more teams. So, like, if you don't qualify for that one, then you don't deserve to be playing soccer anymore. Mm-hmm. But three games starts with Sunday down at the Azteca against Mexico, Orlando against Panama, and then in Costa Rica. Now, a lot of people don't know this, Darlo. The United States have obviously never won a World Cup qualifying game in Mexico. They've also not done the same in Costa Rica. Which we talked about before we started. Um, shocked, yeah. Thir- thir- Thursday at the Azteca. Excuse me. Thank you, Adub. But going to two places where you where you have never won mm. before in a World Cup qualifying setting, mm-hmm. and needing three points in 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 any of those games in order to hit, in order to like hit the magic number and make sure you're in. It's five points. Um, you know, if you want to guarantee top three without having to worry about anything else, but three points will will effectively get them over the line. So there's there's a couple of different. Train, you know, schools of thought that people are, are, are sorting through right now. You have three games in, in, a, in a short stretch, right? I mean, we, we, we've talked about it over the past, you know, however many months the U.S. have been trying to qualify that it, it gets really difficult. But if you are playing one home game out of three and you're playing against a Panama side that is, is good going forward, it's not the Panama that we're used to and, you know, that got to the World Cup, um, you know, last cycle and the whole thing, but they're still explosive going forward. Arlo, if you were the United States, would you mm. maybe rest a couple of players and guys that you typically would start in a game that you need to win against your biggest rival of Mexico and save it, you know, and, yeah. and, and play at home in Orlando against Panama, knowing that it's easier to get three points at home against Panama than it is to get three points in the Azteca? Gosh, it's a really, really good question. And I know that this debate is kind of raging at the moment um, in U.S. soccer circles. It's, it's so difficult because they have injuries anyway, right? So there, there are there are key players that are that are missing this entire. Yep. Uh, Weston uh, McKenney, uh, Serginho yeah. Dest, Brendan Aronson, three big ones. Yeah, big losses. So you can ill afford too many more to go down to to stay competitive. Um, but it's Mexico. It's Mexico away. There's a chance to make history. There's a chance to stamp your ticket there and then. Um, you know, there, there could be a, a power shift in, in CONCACAF towards more towards America um, in, in the rivalry with, with Mexico. There's no there's no better litmus test than a packed out Azteca Stadium, is there? So it's, it's difficult. You certainly don't want to go, you know, put a really weakened side out and get thumped by Mexico because that's just not a good look, is it? So it's a mm-hmm. really difficult one. Um, I'd be more inclined, I think... You know, as a fan, probably I'd think that save it for Panama. But as as someone who kind of like, as you do, you, you hang around and you listen to professionals and former professionals speak about the game. And it kind of it changes your view on it a little bit, yeah. which is go for it. Go for go for Go for broke. Go for Mexico, you know, to try and get a result. And then and then just trust that you've got enough to beat Panama at home. So if you go to Mexico, you get a draw and then you, you come home and beat Panama. Happy days. Um, uh, even even hearing you say that, go for broke and, and go for it down at the Azteca is giving me anxiety. Ada, what, <laughs> what are you thinking? I don't have as much riding on it as you do, obviously, so it's easy for me to say, Ada. You asked me about how I felt with my Chelsea anxiety to start this off. My U.S. anxiety <laughs> is like, I need to be almost medicated. Like yes. That's where I'm at Agreed. right now. With this. I mean, if, if, if they don't, I just can't. Or lubricated. <laughs> that's a separate issue. I don't know if I can do that after the past weekend. But if they don't qualify... It is going to be 
the darkest day oh. U.S. soccer has ever had. I think. I think mm. that is a real statement. Mm. I I I grieved that 2017 loss against Trinidad and Tobago like like it was a loss. In my, I, I'm I'm serious. I I had never been that distraught over a sporting event ever. Mm. You wait mm. four years to see your country play in the World Cup, and they don't even qualify. Country of over 300 million people didn't qualify. Now we're in a position yet again in the final window where we need a result and we're going to two different places where we've never gotten three points before. I'm losing it. I am absolute. My anxiety right now is at a nine. I can't even imagine what it's going to be, you know, by the time that, you know, like the, we're, we're a couple of minutes away from the first whistle. I, yeah. I want to say let's go for it against Mexico. If we had a, if we had a healthy roster and even if it was just Weston who was healthy, I would say let's go for it. But now with the injuries that we have, Gio Reyna coming back, he's not like, I don't think balls to the wall fully fit. He's, he, he's been, he's, he is playing well and everything, and he's back in the Borussia Dortmund side. But I'm still not convinced that he's going to be able to play a significant impact in all three games. You're going to have to rest him at some point. Mm -hmm. I, 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 if I'm trying to put on a coaching hat, I'm maybe putting myself in the, in the, in the mind of Greg Berhalter. Resting a few players against like Mexico. Like who, Tyler? Like who, specifically? Pulisic? No, I think you. I think you start Kellen Acosta against against Mexico. Like I think you want to be a little bit more defensive anyway, and and try to you know get a get a hold on the middle of the field. And with no Weston McKenney, it's going to be a bit of a problem. Um, I think you start Jesus Ferreira, and maybe instead of Ricardo Pepe, and you save Pepe for Panama, and maybe you start Tim Weah instead of starting Gio Reyna, and then you have your best three, your best front three available for Panama, and starting and fresh in Pulisic, Pepe. And and Gio Reyna. Hey, Deb. I think Christian Pulisic has to play 270 minutes, and there's no doubt about that. He he's going to want. I mean, the way he's in form right now, the way he wants to play, he is going to want to play every single game and every single minute. And with Gio getting 90 on the weekend, I don't know. You go, you win at Azteca. It is such a morale boost going throughout mm -hmm. the rest of this qualifying window, and, and it almost. It, essentially locks you in you win mm -hmm. thursday we win thursday we're it's in. over it's, it's over, over. Yeah. so I, i'm yeah. i'm pushing it in azteca mm. i i understand the dilemma but the way that you've just described it as well tyler if you've got if you're so close to punching your ticket you've got three options why are you giving away one of them you know well i mean that's not to say that whatever team goes out is guaranteed to lose you know they, they may they may still get a result with, with a slightly weakened side. And if, you know, the tactics will be set up, you know, it's going to be hard to beat, sit deep, you know, and just kind of soak up the, and, and just maybe hope for a nil-nil. I mean, I, but but I certainly wouldn't be, I wouldn't be writing off one of three chances because of what happened last time. I mean, everyone was saying, well, it's just, we just got to turn up at Trinidad. Just got to turn up and win the game, you know, and, but they didn't. Um, and, they, my, and the wheels fell off that, that qualifying campaign, didn't they? In a way that I don't think they've fallen off this one. They've recovered really well from a bit of an iffy start. So don't give away the opportunity to get three points and to punch your ticket and then rest players against Costa Rica. You know, I, I don't, I don't disagree with anything that you guys are saying, but for me, the, the, the decision, if you were to go for it in Mexico and you come out flat against Panama and you get a draw and then you have to get a result in Costa Rica, a place where you've never gotten three points before, like, how do you explain that decision? And if you, if you, if you played an extremely emotionally taxing game, you get a draw in Mexico, you come out flat against Panama, how do you explain? And then, and then it's, easy, it's easy for, every, for everybody in the media and everybody to say, well, I mean, you, 
you basically you you gambled, you lost, and now you're in a mm-hmm. position where you have to go and get three points on the road in a place where you've never gotten three points before. Like I, I that's not a decision that's explainable if you're Greg Berhalter. I mean, you can you can try to, but like it's it's easier explainable if you if you rest a few players, you sit in, you maybe hope for something on the counter against Mexico, and then everybody's fresh, ready to go in Panama. You get three points mm-hmm. and a victory lap in Costa Rica. I, you could go either way. You really could. But which way do you think he is going to go? I think he'll go for it for the most part. You think? I think. I think. Do so. you agree? To be honest, Greg Berhalter is one of the hardest people to predict how he's going to roll out a roster. I don't think mm. I've gotten one right so far, but you <laughs> got to imagine that he knows the importance of this. He knows the the form all of his guys are in, and coming on Thursday, the tr- all the travel and everything. I can see him resting some people in Mexico. Mm-hmm. That's going to be absolutely fascinating. Uh, but what did Canada need to do to stamp their ticket? Because they must be close. They just need, they just need to show up. And that's all they need to do. You talk about a power shift in CONCACAF. It, it's, not yeah. swinging, it's not swinging on either side of the border in US or Mexico. It's swinging all the way up north of the wall in Canada. Yes. Those, guys, those guys are legit. They are very, yes. very good. And it was absolutely wonderful to see them in a World Cup finals for the first time since 1986. And you know what? I have... I, I followed that World Cup closely. I was 13 years of age. I have no recollection whatsoever of Canada being in it. I've just, just no idea. I've just, I, I, when I read it, I thought it was a mistake because I, I they, therefore thought they'd never played in the World Cup finals. But evidently they, they were there. Um, but they, yeah, you're right. They, they have done so well um, from, from the get-go in, the, in this qualifying campaign. So they're going to be there. One question for you. Do you know the next World Cup then you don't have to qualify for? Do neither... Of US, Canada, and Mexico have to qualify. They've all got they've all got their, their tickets are punched. Mm-hmm. So so the, the qualifying next time will be all for kind of one one spot, then I guess. That'd be that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. Well, whilst you're losing your minds, chaps, I'll be there with a cocktail, with a cigar, with my feet up, with England already safely through to Qatar and uh, enjoying a couple of friendlies against, I think it's Ivory, no, Senegal and Switzerland um, against Jordan Shakiri's Switzerland. So, uh, yeah, well, enjoy. Try and enjoy, lads. It's only a game. I mean, what could possibly um, go wrong? All right. So can we schedule a, a preemptive pod uh, therapy session if things yeah. do go south? Uh, Arlo, you know, you can be the therapist on the day. AW and yeah. I will be, will be horizontal lying down on, on something. Your couches. We, yeah. Yeah. With boxes of tissues stacked up. Um, yes. And we can just, we can just cry it out. Yeah. It's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. Believe as Ted Lasso would say, believe it's going to be fine. I'm going to puke. <laughs> Well, there's a chance of you two perhaps doing an emergency pod, um, particularly if qualification is secured over the next uh, few days. And um, the Premier League will start again the following weekend. Uh, Can't wait for that. We've got some big games coming up and big weekends coming up as well, Tyler, because the US contingent are heading over for a big weekend that culminates uh, April the 10th. We do three games in three days. I do a pitch side desk and commentary for all three games. It's taxing, it's exhausting, but it's absolutely incredible. It's not coal mining. Um, And it culminates with the Manchester City Liverpool game on the Sunday. So it's going to be a wild weekend. Um, that's the weekend, the second weekend after the international break. So it's all happening. The fire are winning. FC Dallas uh, come to town, uh, to Chicago a week from Saturday, and we'll preview that in our Chicago Fire podcast next week. And let's hope by the time we reconvene, or you two are doing a celebratory uh, emergency podcast whilst I'm asleep and you qualified. Um, either way, can't wait. Good luck, boys, and good luck, America. 